to be with all of you today, and I'm so grateful for Michael Gray that let us, as uh, Craig is out, but a wonderful job today. We appreciate you and Carolina and your sweet family, and thank you for being a part of what God is doing at Fort Carolina. And welcome. If you're new to our church, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here today, and we're in a series called Broken, and we're wanting to prepare our hearts for Easter by beginning to think about what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And today I'm going to take you to an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 22. You may want to go ahead and find that. As you do, let me ask you a question. Do you ever see something that reminds you of someone? Maybe for you it's a, a, a house you go by and it reminds you of your childhood. Or uh, for me, whenever I drive through Valdosta, there's this little two-story hotel and I re I'm reminded of my dad because he built that when I was little. I also, every time I see the Marine Memorial in Washington. I'm, I'm reminded of my wife's uncle, Rex Jacobs. Uh, she did not know him. Of course, I never knew him uh, because he died at Iwo Jima in World War II. In fact, this month marks 77 years ago that Marines, Navy sailors, Army, and others uh, battled that island to take control and give a foothold for our American forces. And her uncle, Rex, was one of the people who gave his life for our freedom and for others 77 years ago. And every time I see that memorial or that picture of that memorial, uh, we think of him and we talk about him and how we, we're grateful for his sacrifice and for over 6,102 Marines and uh, over 700 Navy personnel and about 41 or so Army soldiers who gave their lives in those few days in 1945. Now, the reason I say that is because when you turn to Psalm 22, if you have any spiritual discernment whatsoever, you cannot help but to be reminded of Christ and what he endured for us on the cross of Calvary. Psalm 22 is one of those just powerful, prophetic psalms that hundreds of years before the event portrayed what Christ would do for us on the cross of Calvary. A little Bible trivia in the passion of Jesus narratives in the Gospels, those, those Gospel records that tell us about that last week of Jesus' life, including the cross and the resurrection, there are 13 Old Testament texts that are quoted in those New Testament texts. And out of those 13 Old Testament scriptures, nine of them come out of the book of Psalms. And out of those nine, five of them come from this one psalm, Psalm 22. Whenever the New Testament writers saw Psalm 22, they saw Jesus. Now, the reason I say that is because today I think it's important for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior to be strengthened in our faith and to be reminded of what he did for us to secure our salvation. But if you're a skeptic today, if you're saying, I'm not sure I believe the claims of Christ, I'm not sure if I can believe all this talk about Jesus being God's son and Jesus living a sinless, perfect life and dying, but I'm not sure if I can believe this resurrection story I understand that. Even the first followers of Jesus were skeptics. They weren't expecting Jesus to walk out of that tomb alive, even though he had told them explicitly three times, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. 
Even they were skeptical. And so I understand that if you're skeptical. But one of the things you're going to have to do if you are honest about finding the truth is you've got to wrestle with the fact that the prophecy of Jesus' death was given over 700 years before it happened. And it was not just given in a general way. The details, the gory details of what he would experience were laid out for us in Psalm 22. This is called a Psalm of David. In fact, let me read uh, the first two verses of Psalm 22. I'll put the words on the screen, and I have a lot of scriptures for you today. I'll put them on the screen. They're also on our website. But, but listen to this. Just listen and feel the pathos of these first two verses. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. It's interesting to me that we call this the Psalm of David because he gave it to us. But there's just nothing in the life of King David of ancient Israel that really can be tied to Psalm 22. Most Bible scholars say it's just odd. Now, David certainly went through a lot of trials and suffering and heartache in his life, but no one can find an event that really fits Psalm 22. And I believe it's because the Holy Spirit inspired David to pen these words, not only to express his own feelings at time, but also to prophesy what the suffering Messiah of Israel would one day endure. Whenever we read the words of Psalm 22, we get a glimpse of the groaning of Christ on the cross. And you just heard it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? It was the fourth thing Jesus said from the cross of Calvary as he hung there, bleeding and dying for the sin of the world. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But, but listen to some other verses from Psalm 22. Skip down to Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, and see if this doesn't sound familiar. The psalmist declares, but I am a worm and no man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Verse 8, here's what they say. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The words of Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, are described for us in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 39. I'll put it on the screen. It says, and all those who passed by, passed by the cross as Jesus is hanging there, derided him, wagging their heads, verse 40, and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41, so also the chief priest with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. 
Exactly what the psalmist said would happen 700 years earlier happened at the cross of Calvary. Look down to Psalm 22, verses 14 and 15. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. In other words, like a little piece of clay. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And isn't that what Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 28? After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. He hung on that cross and he cried out, I thirst. Look again at Psalm 22. Look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. They're gambling for my clothes. And in the Gospel of Matthew, again, we read in chapter 27, verse 35, And when they had crucified him, Jesus, they divided his garments among them by casting lots to see who would get his clothes. However, the most haunting words of this psalm are found in verse 16. When the psalmist in Psalm 22, verse 16, cries out, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And we read in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. They pierced my hands in my feet. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 22. And yet, at this point in history, 700 years before Jesus, the Romans had not even introduced or known about crucifixion. They weren't even around. They weren't on the scene. Eventually in history, the Romans would learn crucifixion from the Phoenicians and the Romans would perfect it to a macabre art form. So in Israel's day, in the psalmist's day, in David's day, they knew nothing about crucifixion. And yet we read, they pierced my hands and my feet. It never happened to David. His hands were never pierced. His feet were never pierced. This, Psalm 22, is what we call a messianic psalm that portrayed what the Son of God would endure for sinners. And let's be more specific Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm portraying what the Son of God, Jesus, would endure for me and for you. The lament tells us that the Son truly was forsaken. The psalm's not about David. It's ultimately about Jesus. In Psalm 22, we're talking today about cross-examination. I want you to see three things. In Psalm 22, first of all, we see the reality of Jesus's forsakenness. We see the reality of Jesus's forsakenness. Some, some Bible scholars, and I use the term loosely some days, say, well, when Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't really mean it. He was just quoting a scripture. Or it, it wasn't really true. He wasn't forsaken on the cross. Friend, 
Jesus was neither play-acting nor was he mistaken. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is because he was actually experiencing the reality of being forsaken in that moment. And you say, why? Why would he cry out this? Was it the physical pain, pastor, that caused him to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there was certainly physical pain like we cannot fathom. I know when Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out, what was that, 2004 or so? It's hard to believe it's been out, 2005. Some people criticized it, saying, it's too bloody, it's too gory. And yet most people who study crucifixion as the Romans used it said, Mel Gibson's movie didn't do it justice. You think it was bloody and gory on the screen. You could not have imagined the sights and the sounds and the smells of what the Romans would do to someone. It was one of the most gruesome forms of capital punishment that we have created. In fact, crucifixion was so terrible that Roman citizens could not be crucified. Rome reserved that privilege for non-citizens. One of the goals of crucifixion was to dissuade people from a life of crime or rebellion, however the empire defined those terms. And as they would beat you beyond recognition, as they would rip the flesh off your back with a whip, as they would mock you and publicly humiliate you and strip you naked, and as they would parade you through the streets beaten, bloodied, battered, up to a hill outside the city, in Jesus' case, outside the city of Jerusalem. And there they would nail your hands and your feet to that wooden cross. It was Rome's way of saying, this is what we do to people who don't fall in line and hoping that that would dissuade people. Even our English word, excruciating, is all about the cross. It means from out of the cross. When we talk about, oh, that was excruciating. We're saying, man, I was crucified. We have no clue what we're talking about when we flippantly use that word. There's no doubt that Jesus suffered immensely at the hands of his Roman soldiers. But I believe he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just because of the physical pain, but because of the spiritual pain. There's far more going on at Golgotha than meets the human eye. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word literally is deserted, abandoned. It's as if Jesus cries out from the cross, Father, where have you gone? Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Psalm 22, verse 2, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus cries out in the reality of this moment of being forsaken, God, where are you? And his question was not answered at the cross of Calvary. His sobs were met with divine silence as he hung there and he bled and he died for us. This is new for the Son of God. 
For all eternity past, he had enjoyed unbroken fellowship with God the Father. Even as he was born into this world, he enjoyed unbroken fellowship and the commendation of his heavenly Father. You remember when he grew up and he started his earthly ministry at his baptism, the Holy Spirit of God hovered over his head in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. After his temptations in 40 days in the wilderness, the Bible says God the Father sent angels to minister to him. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus went up on that mountainside with Peter and James and John, and they saw a glimpse of his divinity, his glory that shone like flashes of lightning. The Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before the cross of Calvary, as Jesus is praying and sweating drops of blood, Saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. After that excruciating night, God sent an angel to minister to his spiritual needs. But at Calvary, there was no answer. Only silence. Fellowship gave way to forsakenness. The son found no sympathy from the father. The son received no good job, my son, from the father. No kudos for a job well done or honor for a completed mission. Instead, the sun was clouded. And at midday, it was like midnight. And Jesus is hanging there, abandoned and broken. He did not want to die, God forsaken, but he was willing to die, God forsaken. For me and for you. By the way, Psalm 22 is about Jesus. We sometimes try to make ourselves the hero of every story in the Bible. There's only one hero of the Bible, and that's God. But I will say this. If you've ever felt that your prayers aren't being answered, if you've ever felt that God's a million miles away, if you ever felt that God has abandoned you, you know a little better how Jesus felt that day. But more than that, he knows I know it's cliche for politicians, I feel your pain. What can millionaires know about a single mom trying to make ends meet? And even as your pastor, I can't understand and sympathize with everything that goes on in the lives of my dear congregation. I try. But I know there are days I could just never understand the road you're walking. But hear your pastor today. Whether I understand or anyone else understands, you have a God in heaven. You have a Savior who has been there. He knows what it is to feel abandoned. But here's the question we have to ask. Why? We see the reality of the forsakenness of Jesus in Psalm 22, but why? And now I want you to think about the reason for Jesus' forsakenness. And this is important. Why did the father forsake the son? I can tell you right now, I don't have all the answers to that question. I feel like I'm in good company. Even the great reformer, Martin Luther, is said to have wrestled with the cry of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He got up early one morning and he just poured himself into the scriptures and in prayer trying to figure this out, trying to fathom and plumb the depths of what Jesus was saying here and why he wouldn't even take his food at lunch when they tried to feed him. He said, no, I must study. And he kept praying over the scriptures. And finally, it is said that that day Martin Luther stood up from his desk and he walked away and he threw his hands up in the air and he says, God forsaken of God, who can understand that? And so I can't give you a simple Sunday school answer today. There's going to be a lot left unsaid. But I do believe we can catch a glimpse of why Jesus is willing to suffer on the cross of Calvary for us. One of the glimpses of it, I'm going to preach about next week, but can I give you a little teaser? This is just a trailer. You know they do that at the movies, I can do it too. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 gives us a glimpse of why Jesus was willing to be forsaken on the cross for my sin and for yours. Isaiah 53 verse 6 reads this way, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you hear that? We are like dumb, directionless, defenseless sheep who have strayed from our shepherd in our sin and yet, in spite, of in spite of that, God the Father punished his son so that we could be forgiven. Why did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, it is because in that moment, Jesus was wearing our wickedness. Jesus was bearing the burden of our sin. Jesus was being forsaken so we wouldn't have to be. He was dying for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 reads this way. 2 Corinthians 5:21 For our sake he God made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? God the Father made Jesus who was sinless, spotless, perfect. He made him to become sin for us. Now, don't misread that. It doesn't say Jesus became a sinner. That would be wrong. He never sinned. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God, tempted in every point as we have been tempted, yet without sin. No, what it says is God made him the sin bearer for us, the sin representative for us. God made Jesus the sin bearer, your substitute, and then God crushed and judged sin in Jesus. It was as if God made Jesus the representative of adultery and crushed it and punished it. God made Jesus the representative of racism and he judged it on the cross of Calvary. God made Jesus the representative of lying and cruelty and lust and anger and he crushed it in Jesus. Name the sin and Jesus wore it and represented it. And took the punishment for us. And don't get the wrong impression about the Father in heaven either. He didn't do this because he hated his son. He loved his son and was willing to offer his son because he loved you. And he loved me. What's my favorite verse? Come on, you know it. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary taking the punishment for our sin, serving as our substitute under the righteous judgment of God. Jesus was cursed in our place. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Because we have sinned, we're separated from God, we're lost in sin, must be judged by a holy God. People say, well, why can't God just say, uh, move on, don't worry about it. You would not tolerate an earthly judge who refused to uphold the law and let the person who wronged you go scot-free. But it's a different story when that same judge says, not only do I condemn sinners to death, he then steps away from his judgment bar, takes off his robe, humbles himself to become like us, and takes the punishment himself so that the prisoner can go free. That's what God does in Jesus. And by the way, the cross of Calvary ought to abuse us once and for all of any notion that sin is not so serious. Ah, what's the big deal? I remember when my son Caleb was just a, a little bitty boy. One day, out of the blue, I mean, just out of the blue, he just made this statement. He said, Daddy, I never hear anything about sin except when you're preaching. <laughs> and I thought about that. He's right. You don't hear about sin that's just not a word our culture likes to use. If I try to use Siri dictation and I'm making a sentence with the word sin, something else comes out, sent or send. But Siri doesn't know anything about sin, S-I-N. But when you look at the cross of Calvary, don't ever think that our sin is not so serious. The Son of God took our place. And as we close today, I want you to think of a third thing that we see at the cross of Calvary. We not only see the reality of Jesus' forsakenness and the reason for it, he was dying for our sin, taking our punishment. I want you to see the redemption from Jesus' forsakenness. Psalm 22 begins with a, a sob. Psalm 22 begins with groaning. But if we had time to read the whole psalm, you'll notice there's this dramatic shift in tone. For example... Look at Psalm 22, verse 19. I'll read from verses 19 down to verse 24 and, and see if you can sh find the shift in the tone. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. 
Do you hear it? What happened? We went from they have pierced my hands and my feet to God, where are you? I can't see you. I can't hear you. Where are you? To now, he's heard me. I will praise you. Everybody, come together. Let's praise our God. What happened? I can tell you what happened. The crucifixion gave way to resurrection Sunday morning. That's what happened. And that is the shift that is prophesied in Psalm 22, that Golgotha would give way to glory, that the crucifixion would give way to resurrection, that death would give way to life, and that forsakenness for the Son was not final. Because after having judged our sin in Jesus, God vindicated his son that he is who he says he is. And how do we know God vindicated his son? Because he raised his son out of that grave alive on the third day. And he was seen alive by over 500 people, many of them who went to their deaths as martyrs because they would not stop telling people, Jesus is alive. We've seen him with our own eyes. And by the way, if you are a Christian, you need to know that your faith is not just based on hope. Your faith is based on eyewitness testimony of an historical event that took place in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago. And there are eyewitnesses to what we believe. And if you're a skeptic, you've got to wrestle with the question, why would people worship a man crucified on a cross? And claim he rose from the dead if it meant them dying as martyrs for what they said. It's because there's only one logical conclusion. They said they saw Jesus alive because they did see Jesus alive from the grave. And our faith is based on eyewitness testimony. And that is what happens in Psalm 22. The shift in tone is the resurrection. The risen Lord Jesus The psalm writer was confident, even in his trial, that God would ultimately hear his cry and deliver him. And he was confident that he could trust his Father in heaven. And that is why Jesus prayed at last on the cross of Calvary, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I trust you, even in death. There is no Palestinian tomb protecting the dusty bones of Jesus of Nazareth. There's only an empty tomb. And we celebrate that Lord Jesus on Easter. And we are preparing for that day. In the meantime, what do we do? Well, in the meantime, remember, Christ endured your hell so you could have his heaven. Jesus was forsaken of God so you don't have to be. All you've got to do is trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. And you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be given the gift of eternal life. You will know that heaven is your home and God is your heavenly Father. Have you ever done that today? If not, I want to lead us in a prayer. And maybe today for the first time you'll trust in Christ. If you've already done that, let's prepare our hearts for Easter by not forgetting what it's all about in the first place. Jesus was forsaken, so I don't have to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for your love for us. And I pray this morning for every Christian in this room, even in those dark moments of our soul, even in those difficult days and nights, when God will admit, sometimes you feel a million miles away, 
We don't know if you're hearing our prayers. Thank you for Psalm 22 that reminds us Jesus was forsaken so we don't have to be, that you are with us even when we have to live by faith and not by feelings that you've promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for that promise. Thank you that Jesus endured what he did so that we could have eternal life. And God, thank you that no matter what happens, no matter how hard life may be, death and suffering will not have the last word over your people. Thank you for that, God. But God, there could be someone in this room who for the first time in their life, they need Jesus as their Savior. I pray right now, God, that they would turn from their sin and they would receive Jesus who took their place and took their punishment on the cross. And that they would say to him, Dear Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe you rose from the dead. I confess my faith in you today. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. Thank you for doing what you did on the cross for me. I receive you into my life. God, thank you for the promise of your word that for as many as believed in Jesus, to them you give the power to become children of God. We'll praise you, God, for the difference you make in all of our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.